Father, we ask that as we consider your word for the next several minutes together, that you would open up our hearts, open up, Father, our understanding, and I pray that we would rejoice in the truth that you reveal to us. There's always a danger, we know, when we hear truth, especially when it's often repeated. The danger is that it just becomes old hat. We don't really rejoice in that which your spirit reveals to us. It becomes more academic. And Father, we pray that it wouldn't be such. We want to study to show ourselves approved, workmen that need not to be ashamed. But we want to study that we might personally know you, not just know about you. Lord, all of these songs and all of this Bible study is intended to further and enrich our relationship with you. Therefore, Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be the teacher tonight. And that you would dole out the individual truths to individual hearts. And I pray for everyone who's in this auditorium tonight, Lord. That you would not let anyone leave without coming into contact with the living God. Perhaps some for the first time. Perhaps others who have strayed and others who haven't strayed but are growing, Lord. At all stages, I pray that you draw us into a deeper relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem and he stopped at Bethany, he encountered two women, friends of his, one who was pouting and one who was praising. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, the place to be. When Jesus comes over to your house, why try to impress him? You can't. He knows all about you. Why put on a show for him? Why try to prove something to him? Best to just sit and soak it in. Jesus is here. Now, Martha, on the other hand, thought, okay, God's coming over to dinner tonight. I've got to make him a real great meal. And she was perturbed because Mary was just sitting, worshiping, praising. And it angered her, angered Martha, that Mary wasn't helping. So she pouted to Jesus. Jesus, tell my sister. She started commanding Jesus. Now, Jesus, tell her to get up and help me. Have you noticed that when you pout, it's difficult to worship? I've had quiet times, times of communion with my son. And I'll say, now, Nathan, let's pray about this. And it's like... <laughs> and he just can't get a word out. He's so focused on himself. Well, I'm like that sometimes. You're like that. We pout. God didn't do what we wanted him to do. It's difficult to praise when you pout. It's difficult to pout when you praise. When your mind is focused on him... Now, we do need a balance between the characteristics of Martha and the characteristics of Mary. We can get so busy that we forget to praise, but at the same time, there, there comes a time when it's not profitable to just sit around and call that, you know, I'm just waiting on God. Well, it could be that you're just plain waiting, period, or God's waiting on you. I think we need a balance between vegetating and activating 
There comes a time where, for instance, Moses, he was in front of the Red Sea and the Egyptians were closing in on him and he starts having a prayer meeting. It was not the time to pray, at least a lengthy prayer. In fact, God said to Moses, why are you crying to me? Lift up your rod. There's a time to pray and there's a time to move. We need to strike that balance. Moses, on the other hand, on another occasion, started working really hard. And he was trying to impress Jethro. That's not Jethro Bodine, Jethro, his father-in-law, <laughs> who came to visit him. He was the priest of Midian. And there was Moses out, very impressive. He was, uh, you know, the hardworking clergyman up in the morning early, counseling all the people. They would come to his tent and Moses would give them pearls of wisdom. And probably he just capitulated to the whims and the desires of the crowd. You know, there were all of these other men of God out there. Oh, we've got to speak to Moses. I demand an appointment with Moses. So Moses said, oh, look, you know, I'm so needed. I'm so wanted. I'm really the man of God here. I've got to just spend time with him. And so he did it from morning till night. And he came home to the tent and he told Jethro about all that God had done in his life. And it was very impressive. And uh, Jethro wasn't impressed. He said, Moses, this is dumb. Or as the scripture puts it, what thou doest is not good. You're going to wear yourself out and you're going to wear the people out. You're going to get tired of listening to them and they're going to get tired of listening to you. Choose up 70 men who can help bear the burden of this load. Strike the balance, Moses. And we need to strike the balance between Mary and Martha. On one hand, we can be wound up so tight and so busy that we forget to worship God. As the old saying goes, if you always keep the bow bent, eventually it will break. Some pride themselves on being workaholics or being serveaholics. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. How good at you are you at waiting on the Lord? Sitting in his presence, opening his word, just soaking him in. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall walk and not be weary. They shall run and not faint. Now, Mary had the idea, and following on the wings of this, Jesus gets alone himself. Not only was Mary waiting on Jesus and soaking in what he had to say, but Jesus, by now example, gets alone with his father and prays. And the disciples seeing Mary in the house and now seeing Jesus, it really had an effect. It came to pass as he was praying in a certain place that when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John also taught his disciples, so he said to them, when you pray, Jesus did not say if you pray. Jesus took for granted that being followers of him, they would know they needed it. When you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus 
was very simple. Now, the Jews themselves were not very simple. Jesus' lifestyle and his teaching of how to pray was in marked contrast to what the Jews were used to. Their method of praying was very formalized. They had prayers for occasions. There was the prayer for the dawning of the light. There was the prayer for the setting of the sun. There was the prayer for the lighting of the candles. There was the prayer for uh, when you encounter a river in your journeys or the ocean in your journeys. There's a prayer when you leave town. There's a prayer when you enter town. They had a prayer for everything. Now, the motivation was good. The idea is let's include God in absolutely every occasion of our life. But you can see what would happen as soon as you start writing these things down and memorizing them and taking out the prayer book. Okay, it's light. What do we pray now? It becomes simply a wooden route, routine, lifeless kind of a thing. Now, not only did they have certain occasions, they had certain times of prayer. They would get up and have prayer in the temple and in the synagogue at the third hour the sixth hour, and the ninth hour, which is 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, and then 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Today, the Muslims have set times of prayer. They pray five times a day. When the Muzin calls for prayer from the prayer tower, I don't know if you've ever uh, traveled to the Middle East or you've heard or seen on television, and they go, Allah, and, then, and everybody hears it, and they start facing the east, roll out their rugs, and they, and they pray. No matter where you're at, at the time of prayer, you face the east and pray. And the Jews, as well, did this. No matter what occupation you were involved in, those times you would stop and pray. There's a story that I read about of a uh, Muslim who was chasing his enemy with a knife, pursuing him to kill him, until the, um, uh, the Muzin called from the prayer tower Whereupon he stopped, took the rug out of his pack, rolled it down, prayed to Allah. And when it was over, rolled it back up, put the rug back in, took his knife out and kept chasing his enemy. Not only were there formalized occasions and set times, there were places that the Jews felt were more appropriate for prayer. Yes, God can always hear you, but God will hear you, they thought, if you pray in the synagogue, or better yet, in the temple. So, if you want to be close to God, you've got to go to where God is. And the closest place you can get to God is in the temple in Jerusalem. And today, you'll see Jewish people at the western wall of Jerusalem still believing this. It's the places nearest to the Holy of Holies. Those massive stones that Herod the Great put there that face toward the inner sanctum of the temple, the Jews will approach. It's a holy place. And they'll write uh, scribbling little notes, and they'll stuff the notes inside the cracks of the western wall. In fact, there is a service now that if you can't travel to Israel and you want your prayers heard, you can fax your prayers to Israel. They'll take the fax, and they'll cut it up, and they'll stuff your prayer inside the wall for you. Convenient. Now, when Jesus taught people to pray, it was very simple. He modeled it, they saw it, they asked about it, and then Jesus here teaches them a pattern for prayer. And it's very simple. 
And I think it is a pattern. Now, you can repeat this, and the church has repeated this for uh, almost two millennia. But I think more than anything else, it is a pattern of approach rather than memorize this and just repeat this. In fact, Jesus said, when you pray, don't be like the pagans who think they will be heard for their much praying or literally their babbling. Interesting, isn't it? Don't be like the pagans when you pray. Pagans pray. Every man has a religion, a creed, a belief. Remember the story in Acts, oh, Acts, 1 Kings, chapter 18. The prophet Elijah calls the children of Israel to come and meet him on Mount Carmel with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah. And he says, how long will you halter between two opinions? If God is God, follow him, worship him. If Baal is God, worship him. And they didn't answer him anything. And so he said, look, let's have a little contest, battle of the gods. I'll take a bull and all of you take a bull and let's cut the bull up sacrificially in pieces, lay it upon an altar. You call upon all of your pagan gods and I'll call upon the Lord God and the God who answers by fire and strikes from heaven fire on this altar and consumes the sacrifice, he's God. They said, deal. So he said, you first. There's more of you. There's only one of me. And since they worshiped Baal, the god of fire and productivity, go for it. And so it says they cried out repetitively from morning until noon, half of a day. Oh, Baal, hear us. Oh, Baal, hear us. Oh, Baal, hear us. And it went on for four hours. After four hours, and didn't work, you know, and toward the end they started getting really um, body-oriented in their worship. They rose up and started dancing and going up on the altar and cutting themselves. And, and, and Elijah's looking at this, looking at all the fanaticism. And so he starts mocking them. He says, maybe your God's asleep. You need to wake him up. Or, you know, he could be on a journey. He could be on a vacation. You need to cry out louder and get his attention. He, he kept taunting him like this till finally he said, I've had enough. And he said a simple, quiet prayer. God, you're God. I believe you're God. Show them you're God. And after his prayer, fire fell from heaven. But they were re repetitive in their prayers. Then there's that instance in Acts chapter 19 where Paul the apostle is in Ephesus. And for two hours, the Ephesians cry out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians, whipping the people up into frenzy. And it was characteristic of the pagans to repeat, almost like a mantra, a word or a phrase over and over and over again and get themselves worked up into a frenzy. That's why Jesus said, Don't pray like that. It's very simple. You have a relationship with a loving, heavenly Father. And so when you pray, it's a very simple kind of a prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. But notice the question. Jesus prayed in a certain place. And they said, Lord, teach us to pray as John. John who? It's John the Baptist. You know, when we think of John the Baptist, we think of him as a martyr. We think of him as a prophet. Jesus said he was the greatest man who ever lived. He was a miracle baby filled with the Holy Spirit from his womb. His mother was pregnant when she was past her age, the blossom of her age. 
And we think of all of those great things about John the Baptist, but we rarely think of him as a man of prayer who taught his disciples to pray. Well, some of Jesus' disciples were disciples previously of John the Baptist, and John had taught them how to pray. And so they want to know how to pray from Jesus. Jesus taught them how to pray. Jesus never taught them how to preach. Jesus never taught them how to heal, how to form a healing line, how to usher, how to administrate, because the most important thing is how to pray. If you go through everything else, but you neglect prayer, you've neglected everything. Teach us to pray. Notice it's not teach us how to do it. They were Jews. They knew how to pray. They wanted to learn to pray, to be about the Father's business in prayer. And I think they wanted to because they had seen Mary in the house. They had seen Jesus depending on his Father. And wouldn't you think of that, obviously? Here's the Son of God. If the Son of God needs to depend upon his Father, where does that leave me? If Jesus the Son often spends time praying, man, I, I, I need to, right? And, and that's, that's good logic. Jesus was a man of prayer. He himself depended upon his Father and God alone, sometimes for a whole evening. Now, if Jesus the Son needed to depend that much upon his Father where he would have sometimes whole evenings alone, how presumptuous, indeed even arrogant, for us to think we would need the same. Times of prayer with our Father. Jesus prayed at his baptism. Jesus prayed at his transfiguration. Jesus prayed when he chose the 12 disciples. Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you know what Jesus is doing right now? He's praying. He ever lives at the right hand of God to make intercession for you. His whole life is a life of intercession and prayer for you now. And now he trains his own disciples to become men of prayer like he himself. Um, there's a lot I can say. Thoughts go through my mind. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on this. I have taught on this sort of at length several weeks in a row. But I guess so often as a pastor, I see people approach prayer as... Well, you know when you fly in an airplane, how the uh, stewardess will get up and say, in case of an emergency, the mask will drop. The seat that you're sitting on is a flotation mattress, and you put this thing around, and in case of emergency, you pull the cord. It'll go up. And if that doesn't work, you do it manually. But that's all for the emergency, and they go through the whole rigmarole. Now, most people don't really listen to it. But during a time of crisis... You know, what am I supposed to do? Where's that thing? Pull the cord. A lot of people view prayer as that cord in case, whenever you get into an emergency situation, you know, it's the life preserver. And they view prayer as for emergency use only. Why don't more Christians pray? I have a very easy answer to that, and I think it's very accurate. We don't think we need to. If we did, we would. It's when you sense your need that you do. Let's say you stood out in front of Gardunio's restaurant around dinner time. 
and you had a real nice turkey or let's say ham and Swiss sandwich. People come, are coming out of the restaurant. It would be very difficult for you to persuade people coming out of a restaurant after eating there. They feed you well over there. Big portions. It'd be hard for you to convince someone who had just eaten that they need that sandwich. You would have to use all of the persuasive powers you have to say, Hey, you ought to try this sandwich. For sandwich, man, I just had a big burrito plate. Triple cheese. <laughs> now, you could lay a guilt trip on them. Oh, but think of all the poor people around the world who, who aren't eating tonight. Think about them. You ought to eat this. And, and you could put a guilt trip on them and lay a heavy sermon on them and how they ought to do it. But until they sense their physical need for that sandwich, they're not interested. Conversely, if a hungry teenager is on his way into Garduño's, maybe he's low on cash. And you say, hey, let me give you this sandwich. Free? You mean like I don't have to pay for it or anything? No, you can just have it. Yeah, sure. Forget Garduño's. I'm out of here. You don't have to convince much. He's, he's hungry. He senses his need. It's free. So you can have sermons week after week. You ought to pray. You ought to pray. Make people feel guilty. Look, But until you sense your need to do it, it won't be done. They sense their need. They saw what Mary was doing. They saw Jesus, the son, and the relationship he had with his father. And so they came to Jesus requesting that Jesus would teach them to pray. Now it is a pattern. And you could divide it up into uh, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And, and, and that is the first part of relationship. The second part of the prayer is responsibilities. Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And the third part is requests. Give us this day our daily bread. And I think that is a good pattern of prayer. You begin with worship. You begin realizing who you're praying to. You're praying to the God who created heaven and earth. Moreover, he is your father. So there's a relationship. It's not one of distance, but one of intimacy. Then you continue in prayer. Concerned not about your needs, but about God's purposes on earth. The kingdom of God. As Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added to you. Then, after you, the relationship is established, the responsibilities are established, then the request. Now, how do we pray often? Dear God, help, I need, I want. And we, we shove in with those requests. No, don't get me wrong. God wants you to share those things with him. He commands you to ask of him and to request of him. But your prayer will be out of balance if you don't begin with worship. In fact, I think if you begin with worship and you realize who you're praying to, the rest of it comes a lot easier. You're not praying to a catalog in heaven. You're not praying to somebody who's mean and grudging in heaven. You're praying to your Father in heaven. And when you realize to whom you're addressing this prayer, the rest of it comes easy. It's, oh, Lord, all I need is my daily bread. <laughs> all I need is your provision. I just need rent. I just need $750 to pay my rent this month. That's all I need. And for you being my father in heaven, 
No problem. Cattle on a thousand hills are yours. It's a good way to pray. Beginning with relationship, responsibilities, and then requests. I hear some people pray as if prayer is the ultimate room service. God put me up here in this first class hotel and I got this phone. Jesus dial seven 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 seven. That's heaven. And you get on, you say, I claim this, I claim that. I just point to the menu and I get it. What a very selfish way to view a communication with God. Our Father in heaven. I think that when Jesus taught them this, they kind of went, hmm, our Father in heaven. That's, that's, that's new. You see, the Jews traditionally viewed their relationship with God as a bit precarious. They remembered Moses, the great lawgiver, going to Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. And God saying, Moses, set boundaries around the mountain. Warn people lest they come too close and gaze and they die. The priests who come must sanctify themselves and cleanse themselves. You keep them away. And that sort of forged in their minds a mental picture that God was distant. And so the Jews, God didn't command this, but the Jews, out of respect, never said the name of God. Never would say Yahweh or Jehovah. We still today don't know how it's pronounced because there's no record of it. They just wrote the Tetragrammaton transliterated Y-H-V-H. We think it's Yahweh. They would never say the name of God. They would simply, when they wanted to express God, they would say Hashem, the name. Hashem, the name has spoken. The name commands us this. They would never call him God. It was never a relationship of intimacy. Moreover, they lived in a culture that had a background of the Greeks' ideology of God's plural. And You've studied some of you Greek mythology, and you know that the Greek gods, there were so many of them, and they all had sort of a bad edge to them. They fought amongst each other. They competed with each other. And you never knew where you stood with Zeus or with uh, uh, Diana or with Prometheus or any of the other gods and goddesses. In fact, there's the story in Greek mythology that Zeus was angry that Prometheus gave man a favor and he chained this inferior god Prometheus to a large rock in the Adriatic Sea and commanded the vultures to peck out his liver. That's their view of God. Jesus now, in contrast to Greek ideology and Jewish theology, says when you pray, say, Our Father. That's intimate. Moreover, it's the word Abba. Abba is the Aramaic, also the Hebrew, for daddy. It's one of intimacy. Daddy. When you come before your God, come simply. If you are a believer and you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, he's your dad. Is that your relationship with God? I hear people talk about the good Lord or great and awesome and dreadful holy God. And he is all of those wonderful things. But keep going, all right? Is he your father, your Abba? If I came home in the afternoon and my son were there and he said, oh, great, dreadful, awesome pastor of Calvary Chapel. (laughs) Guess what? I'd be insulted. 
I don't want that relationship with Nathan. My father heart would be wounded. I want him to say, Daddy. I want to grab him and wrestle with him and get on his level, get close to him, share the intimacy, the cuddles, the snuggles. So when you pray, pray our Father in heaven. Hallowed, holy, reverent is your name. By the way, that's why I, uh, I don't like a man being called reverend. It's a pet peeve I have. Don't call me Reverend Heitzig. Or Reverend Skip. I mean, that sounds even goofier. <laughs> sounds like an oxymoron. <laughs> the name of God is to be revered, the Old Testament says. Holy is his name. That's the idea of reverend, holy, hallowed. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now I think if people were honest, sometimes we say, my kingdom come, my will be done in heaven as it is on earth. Lord, see things my way and say amen to what I want. But our focus should be on expanding his kingdom. Give us day by day our daily bread. Rather than month by month, year by year, trusting him daily. And forgive us our sins, as we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me in a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer, from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. This is a parable of contrast, not comparison. Can you see the idea here? When you pray, it's our Father. You come as a child. And then he contrasts the relationship that we have as children to a neighbor who's kind of grumpy. God is not a grumpy neighbor. God doesn't sleep. And you don't irritate him when you come. Because right after that, he says, now ask, seek, knock. The idea is this. If... A friend who's in bed at midnight would give his neighbor who keeps banging at the door three loaves of bread for his buddy who came to town just because he keeps bugging him, not because he's his friend, just because he's persistent. If a, a neighbor will do that, your father in heaven with whom you have a relationship. God, remember, prayer is not based on friendship, but sonship, our father. And the father, this guy had his son in bed with him. This guy's going to do it for a friend, your heavenly father, whose children are with him, will gladly give to you who ask. Listen, you don't need to storm heaven and bang on heaven's door to get God's attention. God's not reluctant. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying a hold of his willingness in the area that is his will for your life. I don't know why it is that some people think they need to have a certain prayer voice to get through to God. That's different from just like normal talk. As if God has a hearing aid. <laughs> now, I don't like personally to be yelled at. I never did. When my parents yelled at me, I didn't like it. Or even when my son across the house, Dad, Dad, I say, Nathan, just 
come a little closer. Don't have to yell. Let's see eyeball to eyeball. I don't think you need to yell at God and think that by yelling and, uh, you know, um, gallivanting around and making a show that somehow that gets God's attention. How about just, hey, Father, you think, what, do you think God's not going to listen to that? Did you got to prove that you're somehow awesome and eloquent and loud? I mean, this parable ought to settle that issue for us. Uh, God always hears you, all right? If you're a child of God, he always hears your prayer. If there's no unconfessed sin, no rebellion in your life, the Bible says God won't hear us when we deliberately set up barriers of sin. But if you're his child, God hears you. And he always answers your prayers. Always answers your prayers. Wait a minute, I prayed for a lot of things I didn't get. That's right, the answer was no. Some of the best answers to my prayers have been no. And at the time, I was so mad that God didn't give me what I wanted. And after years, I think, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for saying no. He's so wise. I asked God fervently to send me to Aspen, Colorado. I prayed. The door opened. It seemed like there was 30 people that wanted a Bible study. And then I got back from Israel, and she called me up. She said, the Bible study disbanded. Don't even bother to come. I said, thanks, God. Man, Aspen. God lives there. But now I see the wisdom of God. There were girls I dated, and I just prayed, oh, Lord, let it happen. <laughs> let this happen, Lord. Only to see them years later. And I think, thank you, Jesus. You knew what you were doing. I guess the question we all need to ask tonight since Jesus is talking here relationally, is this. Prayer is based on sonship, not friendship. Our Father in heaven. You must ask, is he your father? Is he your father? Well, how do you know that? Well, you must come through his son to be his child. As many as received Jesus Christ, to them he gave the power to become children of God, to them that believe in his name. If you come through the gateway of faith through Jesus Christ, then that relationship of father and son can be established. If not, there is no relationship at all. And so the first thing must be settled, is he your father? Now Jesus continues in this vein, and I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. By the way, this is in the continual tense in the Greek language. It would be translated, keep on asking. Have you ever heard people say, you should never have to pray twice? I've had people actually tell me that. You should pray once by faith. And you have, you have to repeat it. It shows that you don't have faith. You know, you wonder, do you ever read the Bible? Ever heard of that book? It's the continual tense. Ask, continue to ask. That's the whole idea here. And it will be given to you. Seek, continue seeking. And you will find, knock, continue to knock. 
And it will be open for everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Can you imagine that? Daddy, could I have a piece of bread? Sure, kid. <laughs> and he paints it up looking like a piece of bread. It's a rock. <laughs> All of his teeth break. Oh, that's great. Good. No father would do that. You see, this is a parable again of contrast, not comparison. The argument is from lesser to greater. If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Could you imagine how cruel? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, the, again, the argument is greater lesser to greater. If you, being evil by nature, being humans, living with the evil nature that you have born in sin, if you being evil give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Ask, continue to ask. Seek, continue to seek. Knock, continue to knock. I think here's the intention. Don't be like the guy I just talked about who comes and visits at midnight when he's in trouble. But your relationship with your father should not be an emergency lever where you come when you're really in a pickle, but you're there all the time. You have a relationship with God 24 hours a day. Jesus said in John 15, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, neither more can, either can you unless you abide in me. So you continue. The word abide, meno in Greek, means to hang out continually. Be there with him continually. Rather than just seeing your relationship with God as an emergency room situation. A continued relationship. Paul put it this way. Pray without what? Ceasing. The relationship of communication with your father should be an ongoing thing. Not like, well, it's mealtime, let's say a prayer. Or it's bedtime, let's say a prayer. You know, a lot of kids grow up thinking that you have to have pajamas on to pray because that's the only time they did it. Those are sort of like the prayer garments. <laughs> well, let's pray. Well, I don't have my PJs on. But the idea is that continual pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean that 24 hours a day you're just saying muttering things under your breath. But the idea is that prayer should be constantly recurring, not constantly occurring. The idea is that in every situation, as a matter of habit, the response of your heart is to turn everything over to your heavenly Father. So that relationship is ongoing. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And He was casting out a demon and it was mute. So it was when the demon had gone out, the mute spoke and the multitudes marveled. Some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons, and others testing him, sought from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against itself falls. If Satan is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God 
has come upon you. Now, I don't think we have really enough time to develop the uh, rest of the chapter. As you can see, we have just a few minutes before our time's up. But you know what? It doesn't matter. If we can walk home tonight with the lesson of relationship in prayer, that in prayer you are not overcoming God's reluctance. God is not a grumpy neighbor with his hands folded going, Now what? God is not the kind of person that you have to cajole and bang his door to get his attention before he'll do anything. You have a relationship with him. He is your father in heaven. And he's not only your father personally, he's our father. That's what Jesus said we should pray like. Not my father in heaven, our father. That means you may be praying for something that may not be beneficial for the other people around you in your life. And when you pray, you ought to also consider, well, he's their father too. It's not just what's good for me, but what's good for others, as well as what brings the greatest glory to God and his kingdom. That's how they prayed in the book of Acts. They were threatened. So they had a prayer meeting, Acts chapter 4. And they began by saying, you are God, you created the heavens and the earth, the sea, everything that is in them, everything that is underneath them who by the mouth of your servant David, and he quotes the scripture, and, and he real, they realize, I'm talking to God, he made everything, there's nothing too difficult for you, and then they had a personal request. I think if you want an exciting prayer life, that every morning you include some worship, at your quiet time, praise, hey, sing a song to Jesus. I love to get my guitar out, have quiet time, just start strumming a song to him. Or just singing wherever I'm at. And just fill the place with worship. And then thanking him for who he is. And then for what he has done. And what he has given. And then making intercession for others and then request for myself. And notice this prayer of forgiveness. When is the last time you asked God to forgive you? Well, that's what you do when you get saved. That's what you do when you are saved. It indicates that you are saved. That you realize you fall short continually of the glory of God. And the relationship with God, repentance doesn't mean, ah, oh, it happened once upon a time. I'm always realizing the defects in my character and the sinfulness of who I am. And I ask God to forgive me. Because when we sin deliberately, we break intimate fellowship with God. And that needs to be restored. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It takes the stones out of the path. By the way, that's exactly what the term reconciliation means, to clear stones out of the path. So take the rocks out of the path that you walk with God in by confessing your sins, asking him to forgive you. Let's pray. Father, Father in heaven, we're so grateful that we are not bereft of a father, an intimate father figure. And though we have fathers on earth, or some of us who have lost fathers, we realize that we will always have a heavenly father. As David said, when my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. There is no father like you, whose name is hallowed, perfect, who has a kingdom that has begun in our hearts 
But we have the promise we'll continue for all of eternity and we'll be with you in that glory. I pray, Lord, that our relationship would be intimate, would be loving, would be sweet. Lord, we ask you to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Lord, I pray that for anyone who has come to this service tonight who has not cleared the path of relationship with you by coming to Jesus Christ in the first place would do that tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would convince those who are present that religion is not enough, that good works is not enough, that inner reformation is not enough, that there needs to be a transformation, a regeneration. And so, Lord, I pray that you would establish a personal relationship with those who have come tonight, if they have not made Jesus their Lord and Savior, that they would do that tonight. And if you're in this auditorium and you'd like to do that right now, I'd like you to raise your hand up. If you'd like to make Jesus the Lord of your life and receive him into your heart and know that you're going to go to heaven, it begins by receiving him. It doesn't begin osmotic 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 him. 